from Matthew chapter 11. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. Come Holy Spirit, lead us again, fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray now that these words of mine may not be my words, but they may be your words and that the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts would be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, John the Baptist had gone all in for Jesus. And look where it got him. He lived a radicalized life of announcing the Lord's arrival. And now our text says John is in prison. He's put there by a thuggish leader named Herod. I wonder what John's cell was like. Jewish historian Josephus tells us that John was imprisoned on a hilltop fortress east of the Dead Sea in what's now Jordan. Deserty area, the fortress palace sat on a hilltop that rose over 3,600 feet above the Dead Sea. It was originally built by a king in 90 BC, then it was destroyed, then it was rebuilt by Herod the Great in 30 BC, who then gave it to his son, Herod Antipas, who put John there now in our text. John got in some hot water with Herod Antipas because he raised issues with Herod Antipas taking his brother's wife as his own. John said, you can't do that while the, your brother's still living. And then Herod Antipas didn't like that so much. It's like something out of a soap opera. John eventually would lose his head for this at the behest of Herodias's daughter. So Herod Antipas's mistress's daughter dances for him and the scene and then says, and then he says I'll give you whatever you want she says bring me John the Baptist's head so it's pretty messed up so this is where things are headed and I don't think John's prison room would have had a view if it did it would have looked out over the Dead Sea over 3,000 feet below it was a formidable fortress and now it held this amazing guy who'd gone all in for Jesus. And I wonder if he's sitting there going, okay, so this is where this got me. I don't necessarily think that's the case. Scholars debate about exactly what's on John's mind here, but from the text that I just read, it doesn't sound like John is so much focused on the fact that he's in prison for the Messiah from the text, it doesn't sound to me like imprisonment itself is the issue here, although it certainly was an issue, I would imagine. But rather, from our text, it appears that it's when John hears what the Messiah he's in prison for is actually doing that John sends his disciples out to ask Jesus, basically, hey, are you really my guy? What was John hearing about Jesus that surprised him? We're not told exactly 
One commentator suggests that since John's ministry focused on the coming judgment by God, maybe John was surprised to hear that Jesus, in his ministry, took a much different tone. It seems like it's on the right track. Dale Bruner, the New Testament scholar, describes the situation this way. He says, <clears throat> in a word, Jesus is out in the sticks, healing sick, insignificant little individuals here and there, but not doing much to change the basic structural problems in Israel's life. The Pharisees still control popular religious life. The Sadducees still control the temple. And the whole religio-ideological system seems thoroughly unthreatened by Jesus' do-goodism in the hills. (laughs) What is more, John, the propagandist of the New Order, is in prison. And Herod, the embodiment of the oppressive establishment, is still on the throne and is, in fact, about to have John's head. Dr. Bruner summarizes it. Just what kind of Messiah is this? Well, our Lord responds by telling John's guys in verses 4 and 5, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. All profoundly this worldly concerns. The gospel arrives and impacts lives in ways that people can see and feel and hear and touch. Maybe not the revolution that John was hoping for, but a revolution nonetheless. If John was expecting the Messiah to primarily be a thundering prophet of God's impending reign, well, there's some of that in Jesus. He can bring it, but there's more to Jesus than that. Jesus is basically telling John, you heard right, get used to it. John, it sounds to me like he may have wanted this certain thing from Jesus, like call it a Chuck Norris, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jason Bourne Messiah, right? Kicks butt, takes names, takes over. We'll get there. But his path is that same overwhelming power at work to make people whole again. To touch lives where they hurt. Not overwhelming in the way John expected, but still power nevertheless. He heals eyes. He heals legs. He cleans up lepers of their sickness. He raises the dead. He shares good news with the poor, the poor who are most acutely aware of their need for it because they're poor. Dr. Bruner writes, one gets the impression with the phrase, the poor are being evangelized, that Matthew's Jesus intends to summarize the Sermon on the Mount. But the Sermon on the Mount begins, blessings on the poor in spirit. Blessings on the poor in spirit. That's how he starts in Matthew 5. The Sermon on the Mount is meant to encourage, to put courage in all poor persons, all little people. The Sermon on the Mount is the Magna Carta of all little people. It is common men and women's best news because it tells them how highly they are regarded by God and then goes on to teach them how to live with God for people. 
Jesus' sermon raises the dead in its own way, Dr. Boonder says. It raises little people into big, broad, humane lives. The common are raised to uncommon life. The insignificant are raised to a life with new significance. The poor are raised to a very rich life indeed. Giving life to the dead is something, but giving the life in a way, but giving, but giving, he says this, giving life to the dead is something, but giving the living a way to live is something too. Isn't that good? So rest easy, Jesus says to John, I am at work. Big time. Resurrecting and proclaiming that those who are told they are insignificant are in fact greatly significant to God. When we can perceive what Jesus is actually doing, we can find hope again and again and again and again. When we can perceive what Jesus is actually doing, we can find hope Again and again and again and again. But sometimes our expectations about how Jesus should be working can undermine our ability to hope. Hope for that difficult family member and their chronic struggles can be undermined by our expectation that Jesus should work in a certain way, we think, in that family member. Hope for that hard-to-reach colleague Someone not open to the gospel like we'd like them to be. Well, that hope can be undermined by our expectation that Jesus should work in that calling in a certain way. Hope for our overall culture can be undermined by our expectation that Jesus should work in a certain way in our culture so that we feel more like winners. They need to throw in thugs like Herod who want to imprison us, throw in anxieties and pains and fears inside us, and all of that can be imprisoning. Before you know it, we are on that fortress, palace, hillside, locked up, locked locked away from the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. But he'll meet us there. He's there for us to show us again and again what was really going on, what he's really doing, so we can find that Advent hope. We can recover the hope so that we hope in him, not just in our projection that we want on him. So that we let him show us who he is. So that we let him tell us what he's doing. The way to the way is cleared then for us to hope again and again and again and again on a daily basis. The path to Advent hope and joy is letting Jesus show himself and show his work to us on a daily basis. The hope and Advent joy that is ours is recovered when we let Jesus show himself and his work to us on a daily basis. What is he doing? Dr. Boonder sums it up this way. Seeing what Jesus does and hearing what he says is the only way that leads to faith. The dynamite of faith for our congregations and families is simply a more faithful exposure to the words and works of Jesus. I remember Bono speaking one time and he pointed out how helpful it is in his own prayer life, you know, as a lead singer of U2, a global figure, you know, guy who's worked with leaders all over the world and a guy with big dreams and, and big hopes and God's really used him, I think, in 
when Bono said one time that how someone else pointed out to him that that we have a need to shift our prayer from Lord bless what I am doing to instead pray Lord help me do what you are blessing the shift again Lord bless what I am doing to Lord help me do what you are blessing that is the shift to be able to see what he is actually doing which may or may not be always obvious to us right but we like John sometimes need to tune up or need new lenses, new glasses, so that Jesus lifts us up like John is lifted up in his prison to remind him what he's part of. If you're like me, you need this sort of check-in with Jesus regularly. We can ask Jesus what he's up to when we pray. Lord, what are you doing in this situation? What are you up to? We can ask Jesus what he's doing around us as we study scripture. The scriptures and how he's past operated are essential to learning his motifs, to how he continues to operate in the Holy Spirit. We could ask Jesus what he's doing around us and in our lives as we worship. In fact, praying and reading scripture and praising God regularly help correct our vision, our perceptions on a regular basis so that we really know what to expect from him and we can spot him when he's really working beyond just our projections of how we want him to work. He may work like we expect and like we want him to, sure. He may not. And see exhibit A in John the Baptist. We can also ask other Christians to pray for us, to ask Jesus on our behalf to show us what he is doing. You know, have you ever asked a friend to pray for you and said, Lord, I, or my friend, I don't understand what God is doing right now. Can you just pray for me to see that? That's what John does here, literally. John essentially sends his guys to Jesus to say, show me what's up. Our friends in the Lord can do that for us when they pray for us. They can go to Jesus on our behalf when we ask them. And just like when John says to his guys, hey, go talk to Jesus on my behalf. We too can ask those who pray for us when we're stuck and say, hey, will you talk to Jesus on my behalf? Will you check with him and see if I'm, if I'm hearing him right or seeing him right? And our Lord will meet us all in that just like he met John. And here's the thing. We need this if we're going to really follow him. Because sometimes he zigs when we zag. (laughs) Our Lord will not always satisfy our intuitive impulses for justice or, you know, the way we think is the way to go. Hence, Exhibit A and John the Baptist here. We need to be constantly allowing the object of our study and the focus of our lives, Jesus Christ, to impose his reality on us and in us. So our understanding of it conforms to who we actually is, not just who we want him to be. And that's a lifelong effort. Jesus wants to bless us toward that. He says in verse 6, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. He's basically saying, bless you, John, for hanging in there and not tossing everything out because I don't meet your expectations. The thing is, in order to really get Jesus, we are going to need his blessing. And that is the first thing he does in the Sermon on the Mount. He blesses us. Blessed are the poor in spirit. His constant blessing of help, guidance, enlightenment, 
That is what Paul called being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul writes to the early church at Rome, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our hard drives need to be constantly reformatted in the person and work of Jesus. This is what's happening with John. And of course it is. The guy's in prison. He's going, what is going on? Why isn't my guy out there kicking butt and taking names the way I'd really prefer he did? I need some guidance here and Jesus meets him. There's no condemnation in Jesus meeting him. He just meets him. And he meets him through his friends. Notice. Now he's forced to send his friends because he's in jail. (laughs) But sometimes we need our friends because we're in our own jails. Our own confusion. And our own struggles. And our own, you know, darkness. And we need friends to pray for us and go to Jesus saying, Lord, who are you? Really? Jesus is helping John reformat his hard drive so he can understand and start humming along with Jesus again, right? His entire conception of what a Messiah looks like is being transformed by the renewing of his mind here as Jesus sends back words to John through his friends. This is what happens for us to, this is the life of discipleship. It never ends, this side of heaven. Now more than ever, the church is in need of daily fresh encounters with Jesus that keep our thinking straight and our expectations straight about just who this Jesus is we're following and how he really operates, making sure that our our picture and experience of Jesus is truly being constantly reformatted under real encounters with him. With him, not just with our own hopes. Now, I'm not saying, again, he never syncs up with our hopes. God gives us hopes sometimes and visions sometimes. I'm not trying to make too hard of a dichotomy there. But we don't ever want to be always constantly presumptive, right? That God is just going to meet what I think the expectation should be. This is what John is doing here. So if John the Baptist needs to have his hard drive reformatted sometimes, so do we. Letting Jesus be Jesus Letting the Lord be the Lord and being able to still joyfully, and as a result of that, being able to joyfully perceive how he's moving because he still is. This is key to recovering Advent hope. There's a good Wikipedia article on this fortress which John was held in. It's uh, one of the concluding paragraphs in this article talks about there's there were actual excavations at this site where John was held in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. These are real places. I've been to Israel. There are real places in there. It's a fascinating world. Now this is in Jordan across the other side of the Dead Sea. The article says, within the fortified area are the ruins of the Herodian palace, including rooms, a large courtyard, an elaborate bath with fragments of the floor still remaining. Further down the eastern slope of the hill, there are other walls and towers. There's an aqueduct, remnants of an aqueduct there. But... They only found stuff there up until around AD 70 because when the Romans came in, they obliterated everything. This was a real place where a real guy named John the Baptist was held and they tried to squeeze him, detain him, and he struggled there with who the Messiah was and he was killed, beheaded after a couple of years there. But now this place itself is but a ruin and the shards of the original or all that remain. Those are fascinating. 
but they're just fragments. That's all they are. The fortress that sought to crush John the Baptist and the gospel movement is itself now crushed. But the gospel still stands. The God of the gospel in whom we hope is still on the move in his way. And he moves his way and he moves this way and he moves his way. And as we see that way, as we allow him to reformat our hard drive on a daily basis, we'll be able to spot it, we'll be able to see it, and we'll be able to find hope and joy again and again and again. He's committed to help us see that. He's good at helping us see that. He'll use our friends to help us see that. And then moving in hope, we can join him together. May it be so for me and for you. Let us pray. Lord, show us how you want to reformat our hard drives and our perceptions of you. That we can see you at work in unexpected ways. When you expect, when we sometimes want you to kick butt and instead you just touch people in more subtle ways. We instead want you, we, we, we want you to take over and you instead nudge us to, step, to just step toward people um, little by little. We want you to fix it, and instead you just invite us to stand with people in the mess. Oh, how you are an odd Messiah. (laughs) But praise you for that, because it's amazing. And the oddity of your Messiahship, there is abounding and amazing grace. Thank you that it's that light that we light and light and light with candles and trees and Christmas uh, decorations in these days and that that light of that hope is our joy now and forevermore in Jesus name amen